uh, Ronan, just before I move to you, uh, you are aware that you've got the Giants going as a six seed and no one getting out of this division as a winner. <laughs> So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we'll be looking at all the news from around the league, a lot of contract movements, player movements, and we're going to start the first of our four divisional uh, previews. This week we're going to be looking at the NFC East and the NFC North, so let's crack on to that. So hey guys, we've got Connor here, we got Harry. Hey. And we've got Ronan. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? Any crack? Um, a lot. Uh, work's been calming down, which has been very nice at a sort of a... Bad run there, as everyone on the podcast heard and cared about deeply. Um, <laughs> so things have been a bit, bit better recently. Um, some people who are getting in the way in uh, above me have been moved on, which is, is nice. The racist one or so, no? Uh, yeah, yeah. He's, ah, excellent. He, he is uh, finishing this week, uh, going to do something more suited to his skill set, like joining the EDL or something. And uh, <laughs> I've always thought it was really fun. There's, there's something weird about an Indian man posting uh, Britain first memes. You're like... You do realise that while you both hate the Muslims, if you if you do succeed in your awful, awful goal of getting rid of them, you're next. <laughs> it's actually that, that, that quote that everyone runs out all the time uh, in action. Uh, <laughs> what about yourself, Roland? Any crack? Uh, busy work. Still on the death march towards software release. So, uh, yeah, pretty much testing between now and the end of July. So, testing is always fun. Yeah, it, it, always it fun. definitely is. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty pretty similar. Not a huge amount going on. A bit busy in work, but uh, I'm going to the zoo tomorrow with work, so that should be fun. So we're heading down for the afternoon, and there'll be kind of some kind of competition, presumably to go around and get pictures of all the animals and stuff, and some prize for whoever gets the most points or some crap. I love hearing about like how my taxes are at work. Yeah, <laughs> it's the best way to spend them. All you do would be wasted on silly, frivolous purchases, well, bolstering than... the economy. Why would we want you to do that? <laughs> better than paying for yeah, the salary. They got a big load of like toxic loans, and everyone in the central bank has to be away that day. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> just, just, uh, just national ev- interest. Everyone, everyone, just not be there to tell them no. Um, I suppose as we should probably crack in. It's been a while since we've done the last pod. Uh, enjoying a little bit of the off season, we're going to be starting into all of our previews now. But I suppose uh, since the last time, it's since the draft, we've got a, a nice chunk of news because now is when all the players start moving. Normally, the players you don't care about, but surprisingly, a couple of ones that are uh, that are big. So just to fly over some bits that we missed since the uh, since the last podcast, Doug Whaley's been fired. Happened immediately after the draft. Uh, all indications are that uh, McDermott controlled all the draft moves in it. He's been replaced with uh, the assistant to the GM. For from Carolina, Brandon Bean, who apparently has a bit of a history with McDermott. Uh, so that seems to be setting up to, to giving him a lot of control in that situation. Do we think probably a positive, or what do we reckon about this? Well, I mean, it's like Doug Whaley's gone, so that's probably a positive. <laughs> um, it, it does make the whole situation they ended up, though, in at the end of the year with um, with Tyrod Taylor all look really, really bizarre yeah. because they knew Whaley was on the way out, presumably, at that stage. It's not like they fired him because he completely fucked up the draft because, as, as, as you said, he didn't really have any influence over the draft anyway. So mm. it all seems very strange, very chaotic, very bills. But bringing in a guy who's worked with McDermott before and uh, has supposedly a good relationship with McDermott, it makes sense just from that perspective of, of sort of mending the divide between uh, the GM's office and the coach's office, which has been a problem in Buffalo over the last few seasons, if we're, if we're completely honest. Um, although, of course, the downside of that is when you're giving a, a new, relatively inexperienced head coach that much control over personnel, 
you know, things can go south, but on the other hand, it's 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 a show of faith, isn't it, in yeah. what he does and saying, right, we're going to bring in people who we know are part of the philosophy you buy into, and we're going to give you every chance to succeed, which is something the Bills haven't really given their coaches before, not to say that some of their coaches have given themselves a chance to succeed, <laughs> but uh, it, it makes sense um, in the here and now, but it does make the last few months of what's been going on in Buffalo look even more baffling than it already was. Yeah. Uh, another news that rained in LA a little bit, which apparently is big news and has delayed construction significantly on uh, on the new stadium down there. Because of this, they've now had to move Super Bowl 55 to Tampa Bay. Uh, so they're going to be getting 56 instead. There was a lot of talk about the Raiders potentially taking uh, 55, obviously because Las Vegas, LV, it makes a lot of sense. But um, the rule that they've put in place now is that you have to have spent one entire season in a stadium before you can host a Super Bowl. So basically to work out any kinks, try and avoid like blackout scenarios, things like that from happening again. Uh, so basically not a huge amount of news apart from LA are going to be a, a year later getting there. In other LA news, actually, as an aside, uh, this is the last week that the Chargers are in San Diego. They're shifting this week, so they're doing a big goodbye tour. Uh, I wonder what the attendance of that is going to be like. Um, the NFL Competition Committee has met up. Uh, they've reduced overtime to 10 minutes, and they've also decided to relax celebration rules, uh, which is which is interesting. They have very specifically uh, relaxed certain sections and given, uh, given indicators to players what they are. So you can also have group celebrations and stuff now, but you're not allowed to do the dunking, I think, uh, still. We're still going to see some flags for this, but hopefully a lot less flags. I wonder if this might be an indication that, uh, that the commission is on the way out and trying to make himself a little bit more of a friendly figure for, for once he's done rather than the, the most hated man in football. Yeah, like I, uh, I'll let Harry cover the celebration rules because I know he's quite passionate about this. Uh, and like oh, I think the other rule that they brought in was that medical tents will now be on the sidelines, the practical move. I don't think anyone can object to that. In terms of the overtime stuff, we discussed this on the last podcast. Like I, I think the only addition that I would have over that discussion would be, is this a move towards eliminating overtime long term? Is overtime kind of like the kickoff, like special teams? One of those things that the NFL, and to, I think even to a large extent this, in this place, the Players Association, that overtime is something that no one really wants. And I think there is a cohort within the ownership, I think John Marrow would be an example, who believe that ties are perfectly acceptable. Obviously on this side of the Atlantic, we're perfectly fine with the idea of having a tie or a draw or whatever. Obviously it's just it's quite foreign to the American sports fan. But I think there's an interesting case to be made that this may be the first step towards eliminating overtime altogether. I think in terms of the practical limitations of this particular reduction OT, probably fairly minor. We'll probably see maybe like a 5% higher chance of a tie happening. But that might be significant enough to increase it from the amount we saw last year and see that maybe going up to two or three a season. Uh, yeah, well, I don't think it ever in the overtime entirely because of the playoff format. Oh, yeah, um, I mean, within the regular well, season. Yeah, but, uh, the, the one problem with ties really isn't isn't so much. And I mean, there's obviously a level of alienation uh, felt by fans towards it and people don't like it. But... Um, the, the real problem is, is that it, the way the standings and seedings are currently worked out, ties, especially multiple ties, uh, play havoc with that at the moment because it's so finely balanced and it's based on obviously the win percentage and so on. So the impact that it has is, I think, unclear to a lot of people uh, and is quite confusing to work out how it all factors in. And if you ever, for example, even play something like Madden uh, and there are ties in the season, the computer just does not know what to do with them when it's ranking the teams. And most fans, I think, feel the same way. 
So there's some systematic problems there. Also, medical tents are a great idea, but I want to see, speaking of Madden, like in the old school Madden games, the ambulance would come onto the field and sort of run over the players. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the real fix. But um, I, I believe that uh, the Chargers have hired someone to do that. <laughs> <laughs> to get the excuses in early. <laughs> uh, but briefly, anyway, on the, on the celebration rules, um, it's probably a good thing overall because, you know, we're, the situation we got ourselves into doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, it's not as Roman quite rightly identifies. It's not a huge uh, number of changes. It's mostly to do with things like... Um, Going to uh, going to the ground and t- group celebrations, so on. a lot of the other rules, like anything that could be construed as violent or threatening, like a bow and arrow or whatever, <laughs> is still is still forbidden. But it's probably moving in the right direction in terms of just moving towards a more sensible policy and getting rid of something that really there were a very small number of grumpy old white people who didn't like, but for the vast majority of fans, made no difference, so they kind of enjoyed as long as it's not holding up the game. Um, the I, I don't know if it's necessarily a sign that Goodell is going out, but I think this is actually the first salvo in what's going to lead up to the CBA negotiations. Um, it's a attempt, I think, to soften up opposition, to say, look, we've given you this for free without a quid pro quo, mm. and sort of using it actually to leverage into those. But that could be reading way too much into the situation. But that's my initial instinct when I see something like this. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, outside of that, Jay Cutler has joined uh, Fox to do the NFL coverage there. He hasn't ruled out coming back at the starting job became available. But as we said, I think on the previous uh, episode, this is quite a surprising move. Would have thought that he'd be able to latch on somewhere. He's young enough that he should probably still be playing, but we'll see. I don't know if a starting role is going to come out. I think he'd definitely be looking to compete, especially the further he gets from when he played last. So, uh, well, he could, he could always become the 49ers next GM after John Mitchell. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, so we'll move on to have a look at some of the signings and trades that have happened uh, over the recent while. Uh, the most recent kind of large scale one, Baltimore have signed Jeremy Macklin. Casey released him last week uh, to free up some ca- uh, salary cap. He freed up, I think, approximately $10 million for them with that. Uh, Baltimore have signed him. It came down to Baltimore and the Eagles, even though the Bills wanted to be involved. They were apparently a non-factor in the end. Uh, so they're big. Yeah, two- that's a metaphor for the Bills, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it just? <laughs> uh, so he's got a two-year, $11 million deal. Which, to be honest, actually, I think is quite good value for it. This was initially reported as being this is quite a heavy investment, but realistically, five million is what you're paying for a mediocre to poor YR two at this stage, and uh, looking at uh, a comparable contract. So this is obviously a need for Baltimore. They needed to get some more pass catchers in there. What do we make of this move? Will Jeremy Macken be able to make an impact? Yeah, I I think so. Mostly just because of the absolute paucity of Baltimore's receiving core. Um, it would be hard for them not to have a positive impact because they just they don't have pass catchers. They don't really have guys who can stretch the field. And they've just lost probably their best pass catching option. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean that's debatable. Mm, true. That's but mm. I, I do think that Pitta was one of the more productive members of that. Pitta was productive, but you have to remember that he's missed quite a lot of time recently. So when he was fully fit, he was a very important part of that offense. Very reliable. Um, guy and also able to be a red zone threat. But we saw last season his play was diminished from the injury suffered that resulted in missing obviously the previous season. So I don't think there's going to be that sort of immediate mm-hmm. shock. I think that that impact has I think already very much been felt. And this is a team that has still about eight tight ends on the roster. Yeah, <laughs> so they'll probably be okay on that front. But um, it's definitely it definitely makes sense the landing spot. It makes sense the landing spot for Macklin more so than a place like Philly because here is a place where he is going to get a shot being undisputed number one wide receiver. Uh, as you said, it's it's a good deal financially from the perspective of the team. 
Um, I don't think it's enough, really. I think Baltimore need more than, are more than one good wide receiver away from getting back to being a genuinely threatening team. Yeah. But it's certainly a step in the right direction. And for what it's worth, even if it doesn't pan out, the amount of money they're paying, it's really not that bad of a deal. So it, it, the whole thing just makes sense. Yeah, yeah, 100%. We discussed this in the last one, but it's now official. Uh, Marshawn Lynch will be playing for Oakland. Uh, they swapped their 2018 uh, fifth rounder for the Seattle sixth rounder to, to pick him up. He's been at training camp. We're hearing positive statements, but obviously it's quite an unknown whenever you've got a player who's been out of the league for a year to see how they might perform. So Fitz, he used to be your boy. Do you think he'll be able to, to do the business in Oakland? I think without offensive line, he's definitely got a shot. Like I think if you drove on an average team, I would be a bit suspicious. But I think Oakland has such a good offensive line, and he brings such an attitude to it, that I think he could definitely make a big difference there. I think the bigger difference, of course, is just kind of as a locker room presence. He kind of adds a, a sheen to legitimacy to to a team that obviously could have easily be struggling to kind of keep the fans on board this season if things were to go in any way sour. Uh, considering both the expectations and obviously the relocation stuff. So I think his value is almost more on the wider level for the organization than as a player. But I think as a player, I think with that offensive line, he certainly has a chance to make a good, uh, make a good contribution and possibly even hit the thousand, over a thousand yards, uh, metric. Uh, I, I wouldn't put money on it, but I certainly wouldn't be completely surprised by it either. Yeah, uh, Cleveland made a couple of moves. Uh, Calvin Pryor has been shifted to New York Jets uh, for Demario Davis, and uh, Jason McCourty was picked up for two years, six million uh, on the contract. Like, do we care that much? Do we think this is going to have an impact, or is this just going to mean that they're going to win four games instead of like poor Calvin Pryor? Like, you played badly enough, and you get sent <laughs> to Cleveland. That's kind of a punishment. Well, Demario Davis gets sent both already yeah I mean that's true <laughs> well, I don't know what he did in the past life um, Jason McCourty's like actually he's, he's a reasonably solid option and given again the way their corners have played given Joe Hayden's struggles that, that's a good move but prior for Demario Davis is just that's just two desperate teams reshuffling the deck chairs a bit really isn't yeah. it Yeah, it gives prior a shot to maybe reboot himself a bit because he is still young enough that he might be able to, to turn it around but we'll see uh, Philly picked up Legarrette Blunt for a one year $2.8 million contract it was a weird tender move from New England which will have an impact on I think uh, the calculation of them getting a compensatory pick uh, this adds a kind of a, a, a bruiser to the Philadelphia running game, potentially. Uh, I don't think we're going to see anywhere near the production that we saw out of them last year at all, but uh, it's probably a decent pickup and a decent enough price for a one-year rental. Yeah, well, I mean, we've seen how uh, like our Blunt reacts to being put in uh, backfield committees or backup roles, so interesting to see how long it lasts in Philly. Yeah, and Chicago picked up uh, Jay Howard for one year and Victor Cruz for one year uh, to see if Victor Cruz can actually get on the field and, and make an impact rather than just the not being there but constantly being talked about for the last three years. There's so, no one else to catch the ball in Chicago, as I'm sure we'll talk about later. <laughs> so it really, really shows the level of ambition Chicago are operating at, though, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, it does. And we'll be discussing them uh, later on uh, in this episode. A uh, couple of other ones. Uh, Fitzmagic's gone to Tampa Bay for a year. Uh, Jamal Charles has signed with Denver for a year. Uh, yeah, happy about that. Yeah, we see the, th- the thing is the reason that we didn't sign him because we they did discuss these types of numbers. It's a very team friendly deal. Is that the medical staff in KC told him to retire? They don't think that he's healthy enough to play. So we'll see whether he makes the roster or not. Is he, this is a very incentive laden deal? So they will not be on the hook for much if he doesn't. I would love to see him play well. Uh, I would 
you know, obviously cheer against him in two games, but cheer for him in the other 14, so that's fine. Uh, Blaine Gabbert to Arizona, Michael Floyd to Minnesota, uh, Javari Evans to Green Bay, and Gerald Hodges to, to Buffalo. They're the kind of main signings and trades. We've got another interesting wide receiver has come out on the market as well. Eric Decker has just been caught by the Jets after they couldn't secure a trade for him. They even offered to eat some of his uh, his cap number, but uh, they couldn't find something to happen. And uh, David Harris has also been released by him. We'll have a lot of chat about potential landing spots for these two. But so it's just quick, quickly off the top of your head, where do you reckon that Decker will land? I know that he's in meeting with the Titans today. Yeah, I was about to say, I think <clears throat> Tennessee would be a good spot for him. Um, I think they're kind of looking for someone uh, who could be kind of that kind of red zone threat, that kind of big guy in the red zone, uh, especially because they lost Kendall Rice in the offseason. He was kind of, he wasn't great, but he was decent up at that. Um, so I think, like, you know, Eric Decker, you know, like he's coming off a lot of surgeries, but you know if he's healthy, what you get, you get someone who is absolutely deadly in the red zone. He may have lost a, a yard of pace or whatever, so he may not be as useful in the open field as he was a few years ago. But I think if you're talking about someone who can catch the ball for a quarterback when it matters, I think he'll probably still be that type of player and he can still make that production. Obviously, a lot of it depends on his health, but I still think he could be like a, a legitimate red zone threat for some team in the league. I think Tennessee is crying out for someone like that to help uh, a young quarterback continue to grow. Yeah, what about yourself? Yeah. I think Tennessee does make a lot of sense as it's being talked about. Um, to be honest, there's a whole lot of teams that need a wide receiver. One that I think needs one because, like, the Derek Decker might go to because it's contender. Because I mean, you can point at Bears or San Francisco or whoever, but, you know, if you want to play for a contender, you don't want to go to those teams. There's somebody like, and we'll discuss this later, is Washington, whose wide receiver core is, is very, very depleted at the moment. Yeah. Especially after um, this whole thing with, you know, with Kirk Cousins and the amount of money they're paying him, and they've got nobody for him to throw the ball to. So having a guy like Decker... Uh, in there, which gives a sort of a, a guy who can play on the outside, which is really what this team is hurting for at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, would make a big, big difference. Even though he's not going to be a burner, he's a guy who you can, you know, he's a safe pair of hands. He can he can get it done in the red zone, and he can match up one on one on the outside well. Cause he's a fit, he's a physical guy. That's what uh, a team like that I think really needs to put them into that conversation as being contenders and right now is what Washington don't have. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, Pittsburgh released with various Green, uh, obviously struggling with injuries, so we'll see as he hits the free market, kind of what happens with him. I think medical concerns are going to be key to uh, to how that plays out. We've got a couple of contract renewals as well. Uh, the soon-to-be Los Angeles Chargers uh, have signed uh, Melvin Ingram to a four-year extension, 66 million, 42 million guaranteed, locking up an awful lot of pass rush on that line between himself and Joey Bosa. And uh, New England have re-upped Julian Edelman, two years, 11 million, 7 million guaranteed Uh that is a steal for Julian Edelman. Yeah, right. <laughs> Holy fuck. But I suppose you do have like 26 people trying to catch the ball and get touches. So if yeah. he was looking for much more, they might have looked at, uh, at not, not re-upping him. Um, what do we reckon? This Melvin Ingram one is interesting, given that we thought that possibly the tag was being used to allow them to assess how he would fit into the new system. Do we think this much up front is a good shout uh, when you haven't seen how your transition to a new defensive front will work, Roman? Well, I think it's just one of those cases where pass rushers get paid. I think we talked about it all off season when we were talking about the tags and people getting extensions. And if you are good at pass rush, and Melvin Ingram has been good the last year, probably the last two years, he doesn't quite have the gaudy numbers or the gaudy like one off seasons of some other players around him and some other players who got paid this season, like JPP. But he tends to get good, solid production, and he gets to the quarterback. I think that kind of player 
is useful in any system. And I think, you know, I, I'm not sure, like, it's a lot of money to pay, but that's the market. And unfortunately, in a market like this, you just have to make that decision. I think having that uncertainty would just add uh, more problems for that team. I think it's a team that's looking to basically load up and basically get rid of as much uncertainty as possible so that they can focus on trying to maximize their seasons in these kind of interim period before they actually move to their new stadium. I think pissing off, I think pissing off people and doing that kind of stuff, it's, this isn't the right time to do it. So I think going for certainty in this case makes sense. Yeah, I think so. And I think, like I said, I think it's good for them to try and lock down those two guys to kind of be their pass rush because they've got the best chance probably of quick success in LA and being able to solidify. Although just as a side note for the Chargers, Joey Bosa needs to stay away from talking to the media. He is just saying stupid shit that's going to piss people off at the moment. So he's now, he's come out and said, uh, blah, 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 oh, 4334, it doesn't make no difference, I can do it all kind of thing. And then the following day or the day previous, he also came out and said, the only player that made me think about having to up my game or challenge me at all was Joe Thomas. Like, that's just going to piss off people in the division and going to cause them to want to try and fight him very, very hard. They need to keep that young fella away from away from microphones as much as they can. In terms of retirements, we've had Justin Forsett leave, Sebastian Vollmer's retired, and Orlando Franklin has retired after some legal issues and a release. Uh, any of these come as big surprises or anything that's going to have an impact? No, not the slightest. I mean, Vollmer has been rumoured to be retired pretty much since the end of last season. So yeah. He's had, he's had a lot of injuries recently, and I mean, Justin Forsett, well... I mean, you, you know the situation he was in. Just yeah. running back hits that age, production dips, and yeah, generally just, speaking, that's all she wrote. It's just a quick gone. Uh, crime and punishment. What are the players up to? Probably felonies. Uh, <laughs> Tajay Sharp, your boy. Your boy, no, Harry. Not anymore, not anymore, Tajay no. Sharp uh, beat the living shit out of a fan in a bar, uh, allegedly. Um, <laughs> apparently, it happened on draft night when uh, when the Tennessee Titans picked a wide receiver, yeah. a... A football fan in the bar was quite vocal about the fact that finally they'll have a halfway decent receiver to be passing to. Tajay took this as a personal uh, insult and kicked the living shite out of him while one of the linemen, I believe, uh, acted as lookout. <laughs> he just gave him a beatdown in an alleyway while a teammate, at, at least it shows team bonding. Nolan Carroll had a DWI. Michael Orr was for a misdemeanor assault, although I believe he's now turned up to... to, uh, to uh, to voluntary activities or mini camp, so he is back in. So they seem to think that that's going to be okay. And Pac-Man Jones has played guilty to misdemeanor obstruction charges. Uh, come on, Pac-Man. We all know it's a lot more than that. It always is a lot more than and they, that. They said that Pac-Man's now going to mentor your man, uh, Joe Mixon, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Oh, Lord. <laughs> that is that is heavily worrying. Um, and just other random bits of news, uh, Alver- uh, Alberto Riveron has been named the new head of officiating for the NFL. Apparently, he played a blinder in his uh, in his first uh, his first event with it, and uh, not taking no shit from no one. Uh, in terms of having something they can put on television, all signs point to they've actually made an improvement with this, uh, which is a big surprise. When you played a blinder, did you just be like, "Hi guys, I'm not Dean Blandino." Like, You're hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also, Hall of Famer uh, Cortez Kennedy has died at the age of 46. Uh, highly regarded. I've been working with the organization in the years since his retirement and came as a big kind of uh, shock and disappointment to, to everyone involved. And uh, in the rumor mill as well, we also have uh, 
Gronkowski set to retire as he is now. Uh, now this has been true for a while. This we hadn't noticed it. Uh, he's currently got 69 touchdowns and averaging 69 yards per game. If anything was in Gronk's wheelhouse, it would be retiring so he could maintain those numbers, um, or else he'll just play another season, average 69 yards per game, and not catch any more touchdowns. Why not? That sounds like fun. And the only other bit of news before we kick into our into our preview, I suppose, is just to uh, just to do a quick reflection on our uh, our draft preview and how poorly we all did bizarrely the weird made no sense consensus pick between all three of our picks won the uh, <laughs> won the thing so we have been beaten by a machine of our own concoction uh, that scored 17 points uh, in first place for uh, for the three of us was Ronan who got 14 points uh, I came second with 11 points and Harry came third with 9 points so overall I don't think I got a, a single point in like the last three quarters of the draft, I think I got every single pick. Oh God, yeah! So after you, eight wrong, yeah. <laughs> so, so you got three picks in the top eight right, and then everything else was wrong. Um, the lowest one that we got right was oh, I got uh, Taco Charlton to the Cowboys at twenty eight. So that was our latest, our latest one. And then the next one up from that was uh, Garrett Bowles uh, for the Broncos. Uh, Fitz got him right. So. Uh, uh, that tackle breath really coming in there, you know? Oh, that's it. Uh, I, I went real in-depth on that one. Uh, to be fair, it was just like, they need a task rusher, and he's probably still going to be around there. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, so uh, congratulations to the machine. Uh, all hail our new XL uh, overlords. And uh, with that, I suppose, guys, we're going to move straight on to our discussion of the NFC East and the NFC North. So we'll kick off with the NFC East. Uh, this is the division for all you newish player, uh, listeners with uh, Cowboys, Eagles, Giants, and the uh, the Mazungus, the racists, the Washington improper terminologies. However you want to refer to them, we like to call them the Mazungus. Uh, so we'll start off with the Cowboys. Um, in terms of major additions so far, uh, Taco Charlton is obviously expected to be an impact player. Uh, Nolan Carroll, and they also have... Uh, now let's see if we can get this right. <laughs> so my uh, favourite part, Connor trying to pronounce African-American names. Uh, Chidobi Awuze, that's I think Awuzie. correct. Awuzi, Awuzi, and uh, Jordan Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan Lewis. How uh, did you make the vaguely English name sound more racist than I know. I was, that's the oh, joke. Wait, wait until he pronounced Tony Romo in a minute. Juan Romero, uh, so, and uh, people who they lost this offseason, uh, Tony Romo has obviously gone off to uh, to, 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 to present television. Uh, Barry Church and JJ Wilcox, and also Mo Claiborne and uh, Brandon Carr are gone as well. So this is a team who kind of were a big surprise last year, very successful with their rookies leading that offense and that incredible offensive line. Um, I suppose they've they've lost a lot on the secondary. They've been reworking that. Uh, they've got questions around pass rush, and we have to look at how these first-year rookies are going to progress into their second season. Sometimes you see fall-offs. Sometimes you see uh, great successes. So we'll see. Uh, so I suppose, Harry, what do you reckon about this defense and this reworked secondary? Will it be able to stand up to uh, to what is a fairly good offensive division? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, I think reworked is is generous. Um, absent is, is possibly what I would go for. I think the one thing that possibly stands the Cowboys in, in reasonably good stead here is that it wasn't the most talent-laden defense. It worked well as a unit, which is a bit concerning that it cleared so much of it out. But it wasn't like any of these guys are, you know, enormous single pieces 
that the defense sort of it, it, it relies on. Um, so obviously the thought is, is that whatever was going well was the system and it's just a question of finding pieces to plug and play into that that are cheaper than what they had going on before, which makes sense. I wouldn't be overly concerned because I think we've seen this as a team that can put up a lot of points and can get into races essentially with other teams and uh, outpace them down the stretch. And they're going to have to do that. Um, I think this is with so many question marks over that secondary and with, I think, lesser but still significant questions over the pass rush as well. We know that they can get involved in shootouts. We know that they can win shootouts. We know they have enough talent on offense to make it work. And we know that they're a very well-coached defense. You would imagine as the season goes on, they'll start settling down. They'll get the players to settle into their roles. Yeah. And guys like, again, guys like, for example, Nolan Carroll, they're, again, they're not guys who set the world on fire, but they're very, very solid, very useful players. And that's kind of what they have before. So if they can find more guys to step up and more guys to set into that role, I don't think there's a huge amount to worry about on that front. I think they're going to be, I think they're actually going to be okay. Although, you know, I think we'll probably find out in the first few weeks of the season whether or not I'm going to be right or wrong on that one. Yeah. But um, definitely not as concerned as I would be about other teams. I have faith in this coaching staff. I have faith in their offense is going to be able to dig them out of tight spots. Um, but uh, I'll leave to talk about the offense. I suppose he's back in the So I suppose with that, with that being said, Harry, what's your prediction for their... Uh... For their score this year, or for their for their win loss. Well, I have it at uh, thirteen three. I'm I'm still I still think very a very very good team, and um, I think uh, you know I, I think that, that while those deficiencies are mentioned, and again I said I'll, I'll defer to run to talk more about the offense, but I mm-hmm. think that these guys they have between Zeke, Dak, and Dez, and that O line is good enough to keep them in any game, and good enough to I think. Um, outpace or wear down most uh, most opponents. Yeah, like that's that, that, that's interesting because I think that is what they're kind of banking on to an extent with this team. But as we saw, like there was excellent performances from both Zeke and Dak uh, last season. But there are always question marks about there now being more tape on it, more ability to prepare for what they're going to do, and a bit of a better idea of even even when you see tape at the initial stages of a first year, they will be evolving at a rather rapid rate in how they play in the NFL. Will they be able to see the same success this year? Will they develop, or will we see them kind of plateau a little bit, if not fall back a little bit, Roman? I am a believer in the regression. Uh, I am a believer that this team has taken a step back. I think the most obvious way is in the defense. I think Harry's made that pretty well. I think you know throwing an entire new defense uh, is just not a good way to have continuity. And this is a team like you know Harry says he trusts the coaching staff. Like I think Rob Marinelli, he's an excellent defensive coordinator. Like I'm still not convinced uh, as Garrett as a head coach, uh, but as an organization as a whole. This still isn't the kind of organization where you go, oh, this is a stable organization. Like, the ownership is, is a bit mad, basically. And uh, I wouldn't really trust them. And to be honest, history is not on the side of the Dallas Cowboys kicking on from good seasons and doing better. So what I think is going to happen this season is that this offense, which so often last season, thanks to that defense, uh, thanks, thanks to their early efficiency being able to run the ball, and then the defense holding up well enough to make sure the game didn't get out of hand, they could play their type of offense, which is run, run the ball through Ezekiel Elliott, keep the pressure off Dak Prescott, and win the game that way. It's kind of a similar kind of system to what was successful for the Denver uh, for the Denver Broncos, and for Seattle Seahawks when they were trying to carry uh, certain quarterbacks, uh, either due to the early or late stage of their career. And for me, they kind of strike me as being Denver over the last uh, season or so, where because the, like even like uh, it's not quite as bad because the offense is certainly better than Denver, but that defense was really holding things up and giving them the opportunity to get into game states that allowed them to do what they wanted. I think now they're going we're gonna see 
uh, if Des Bryant really is the wide receiver we thought he was a few years ago, or if he is genuinely just gone down a step from the player that he once was. Because I think there's going to be a lot more pressure on that pass attack to hold the forward and actually get them back into games when they start falling behind. Like, I think, you know, based on a sample size of one of the... Uh, of the game against Green Bay in the playoffs, you might argue, well, there's definitely potential there. But I think over the course of the season, when you don't have the adrenaline, when you're trying to win these games in, in what is a gritty and tough NFC East, that at the end of the day, that defense will put the offense in too many situations where this young offense under Dak Prescott, who, who shouldn't really be expected to carry the load that much at this point, will shrivel a bit and will have a regression. So for me, this is a team that's moving back towards the pack in the NFC East, that we're going to have another season where the NFC East is then knocking chunks out of each other and kind of doing okay outside the division, perhaps not quite as well as they did last season. So what's your what's your prediction? So in the end, I predict them to go 7-9. and nine. Good season, not great. A bit of a regression. Okay, fair enough. Like, I get, I get what you're saying. I'm kind of... Bizarrely, this is the only team I think where I'm in the middle on on, on on these predictions. I've got them going 10 and 6, and my basis for that is I do think that the defense is going to regress a bit. I think that the offense will be able to help them out. I think there will be uh, an evolution in some of the game, but they will then, as the tape progresses, I don't think they'll be changing as much in this second year, so they'll have a better idea of how to deal with, with, with Dak Prescott. But I do think that They've still got that O-line in place. They've got Zeke there. He'll be able to eat them out a couple of wins. So 10-6, and six, I'm putting them in the middle. And uh, probably, I think they're going to take a wild card with that. Now, unlike you guys, I haven't done up all of my all of my predictions yet. So we're going to see if I can follow through on my promise from last year of uh, having an incorrect number of wins and losses on the cards and uh, make a prediction that literally cannot happen. <laughs> so 10-6 uh, and six for me this year for the Cowboys. Still making the playoffs, but just about squeaking in. I'm Possibly, possibly not doing it, possibly coming in at like seven or eight instead. Uh, next up, we've got the Eagles. They've got their young quarterback uh, going into year two as well. Big additions this offseason have been Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith uh, helping them on the offense. Derek Barnett and LeGarrette Blunt have also been added in. They've lost uh, Leonidas McKelvin, uh, Nolan Carroll, Bernie Logan and uh, Ken John Barner. So we're looking at a team that seems to be tooling up to try and assist their their young quarterback, but they've lost in, in, in other positions as well. Uh, they've got a bit of uncertainty around the running back. They've got questions about whether or not Wentz can progress because I think it was one of the most divisive questions during the season last year of whether he was actually looking good or whether it was just that he was kind of not being figured out yet because he fell off quite a bit towards the end. And then also finally, again, they've reworked their secondary. Will this be Will this be uh, a better? So what do you think is the most pressing issue facing this team going into this season, Roman? Like, uh, uh, up till they signed um, LeGarrette Blunt, I probably was going to go with the running back uncertainty. But I think LeGarrette Blunt is the kind of player that kind of takes away a lot of the uncertainty. I think, like, your airplanes is your, is your hammer, hammer, and then you have uh, Darren Sproles to be the lightning and all that kind of stuff. So, like, for me then, I think, yeah, genuinely the biggest question here is Carson Wentz. I think he's probably the biggest question mark from last season. Like, with that massive regression we saw from his early season, uh, his early season performance to the late season, we really got an insight into what it's like for him to deal with that kind of pressure, to have to deal with a, with a team which is kind of falling apart. And what we saw wasn't great, like wasn't bad. He didn't completely fall apart, and he certainly was better than Jared Goff, for example. But it wasn't the type of 
kind of pull them up from the roots, pull them up with the rootstraps kind of performances that we needed to believe that Carson Wentz is a genuine franchise quarterback for this franchise. Now, what the Eagles have done is that they've invested in the offense. They got LeGarrette Blunt to help with the run game, and the run game should be okay now. And bigger than that, they got Alshon Jeffrey, a genuine uh, potential number one, genuine potential uh, number one <laughs> wide receiver. Who, if he plays up to his, if he plays up to his skill level, or even is fairly good, he will be better than the wide receivers Wentz had last year. It is so hard to evaluate Wentz on last year because his wide receivers were so goddamn bad. But I think with Alshon Jeffrey into a lesser extent, Tory Smith. He, in theory, now has decent wide receivers to throw it to, and decent wide receivers uh, could make all the difference. We're going to see this season, if you give someone that you can rely on, who uh, don't drop 50% of his passes, will he look better than he did? Will he look like that early season form? And if he does, then I think the Eagles could do quite well. But I just don't believe it. I'll believe it when I see it. This could certainly be a surprise team. But right now, I'm not very high in them. And I think the, it's just the Eagles are one of those teams I always feel tend to underperform what they could do based on their talent. And I have a feeling this season is going to be the same. Even though Carson Wentz might show a little bit of growth, I don't think it'll be enough. So what's your, what's your numbers on them? So I've gone 6-10 and 10 for them this season. So I think they'll have lots of close games in the NFC East, but I think they'll probably be on the losing end of a lot of very close games and they'll be very sad for everyone involved. Fair enough, fair enough. What about yourself, Harry? Do you reckon that Wentz will be able to, to elevate them or will this defence hold them back? Yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of agree with Ron to be too honest. For the most part, um, I'm not, I'm not sold on Wentz. Um, they've given him a chance. I like having been a Pat, well, I still am a Pat fan. Being a Pat's fan, um, I'm not sold that the Garrett Blunt is the kind of guy who can really turn around your offense. Like we know what he does, and he does it well. But we know what he does. You know exactly what you're getting with Blunt, and he's even as power backs go, well, he's a very, very good um, goal line kind of guy. He's not a guy who can like consistently move you down the field, let you control the clock and chew up. He's a guy who relies on wearing down defense with his physicality and tends to explode late in games. I don't know if that's necessarily what's going to help with Philly because you can do that in a place like New England where you have all of those other things on offense that can help you out in the early game stages and then allow you to control it from there when the defense is tired and a guy um, with the athleticism and vision of Blunt can make a difference. I don't think Philly are in that situation. I don't think Philly are anywhere close to that situation. This is going to be an exciting team. I think they've got exciting pieces that are fun to watch, but I just don't think the talent is there on offense. And I think Carson Wentz is limited, and I don't know if Alshon Jeffrey uh, and Torrey Smith are going to be enough to, to make the difference there, especially given that there are still major question marks over both those guys, obviously with uh, how much of the player that he wants was that Smith can be now. That was an ugly sentence. And... Um, <laughs> And like Alshon Jeffrey has run to all potential in the world. We've never really, outside of one season in Chicago, we've never really seen him deliver on that. And he has struggled with it, with his fitness and with his health at times. The defense is is good up front as it was before. The secondary is is a mess. They've got a million cornerbacks on the roster at the moment. And there is a sense of hit and hope with them that they're just going to throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. We saw them doing it on Chip Kelly as well, where they were going to the fourth week of preseason and didn't know who their starting safeties were. Mm. It's concerning and I don't have the same faith there that I would in, in Dallas in the ability of the defensive coach staff and the defensive coaches to uh, to overcome that. So I think this is going to be another difficult transitional period for the Eagles. Um, I have them going 5-11, and 11, so one game worse than Ronan. And I agree they're going to be in games. They're going to make things tricky. They're going to do exciting things. But I just don't think this is a team that is yet at the level where it can 
be like, we are going to go in and we are going to win. It's always going to be exciting with them, and I don't think they're going to come out the best in a lot of those competitions. Yeah, I'm probably I'm more I'm the most bullish of a lot of us on the Eagles this year. Um, I think. I think we saw some potential from from Wentz, but we didn't see the adaptability you want to see out of a starting quarterback. It's, it's kind of what we always say about backup quarterbacks that like they'll come in and they'll play two or three games well, but then because they don't adapt and change their game, they get figured out and then they can't they can't then they start to get picked off and do worse. I think with the coaching staff that are in there at the Eagles, if they are as closely tied to the Andy Reid coaching uh, coaching tree as, as, as they are, and if they are maintaining some of those principles down the way. I would expect to see progression in the second year because it is an awful lot more of a timing base. It's an awful lot more verbiage. It's a lot, a lot for a rookie quarterback to take on. So I would hopefully see some progression there. And based off there being that progression and the fact that there's now legitimate receivers out there, I have them having a fairly decent season. I have them going eight and eight, uh, obviously missing out in the playoffs and everything, but seeing progression and being able to build from that point onwards. So, uh, all the, all the best to you as Eagles. Hopefully you do all right. Uh, we're going to move on now to the New York Giants. Uh, they've added Brandon Marshall on a very team-friendly deal. Uh, they've added Geno Smith. Yeah, there's a backup you can believe in. Uh, they've also added Davis Webb, so we'll see who actually sits at number two in that depth chart. Um, actually, over-under on Geno Smith uh, breaking his jaw because he pisses off a teammate this offseason. <laughs> Uh, they've also added uh, Evan Ingram into it, uh, but they've lost Jonathan Hankins, lost Rashad Jennings, Bobby Rainey, and Leon Hall. We said at the end of last season they needed to up their offensive line. We haven't really seen that. Like their tackles don't look good. They don't really have like the kind of guaranteed blocking tight end in there. So you'd worry about that. Eli has fallen off significantly in the last season or two, especially as the season has progressed. Maybe it's arm weakness, maybe he's just getting old, whatever that might be. Uh, so that's that's a question as well. Can Eli be the quarterback? Because we're talking about a disadvantaged offensive line as well. And then also then these additions like Marshall, how will he work out? How will he fit into the scheme? How will Marshall, who is quite a vocal locker room presence and media presence deal with now being in a guaranteed number two rather than number one role and how will he deal with those types of things so we'll see how those go uh, I suppose I'll come to you first on this Harry like what do you reckon are going to be the the trials and tribulations of this offense this year I think you really nailed it there and the two major concerns on offense are the um offensive line and running back situation uh, neither of which have really been convincingly addressed um, the tackles is still a disaster like unless Eric Flowers comes on leaps and bounds you've got to be very very concerned particularly given that um, uh, particularly given that, given that Manning you know, isn't the most mobile quarterback in the world anymore and doesn't uh, he was never mobile but he always had that sort of pocket presence and uh, elusiveness I think we've seen a bit less of that over the last few seasons and more sort of rash hurried decisions but with that said the talent this team has in the receiving core is still phenomenal. Like you've got a guy like Beckham, who we know is, is a generational talent. We've got a, a uh, Brandon Marshall, who you know isn't quite what he was before, but is still a very, very solid guy who can. And he's the kind of guy who can succeed even though he's a bit slower because he can play a physical game because he can catch the ball over people. He can still go up and get it. Uh, he can still do things in the in the red zone. They've got a guy who looks like he might actually be a reliable tight end um, in Ingram, which is something they have completely lacked as a red zone presence after various experiments with the likes of Will Ty and Larry Donnell. And so from that sense, it, it's certainly like this is a team that is going to, I think, work on sort of timing, quick hitting kind of things. It's going to try and – I think we're going to see a, a faster-paced kind of game from the Giants, more of the kind of dink and dunk stuff. Now, whether or not Eli's going to do that, who knows with, with Eli Manning? He's, he's a complete wild card at the best <laughs> of times. 
But um, you can see the pieces are in there to make that work. And although they obviously weren't able to get an option that they wanted at tackle, you would assume was more the problem. They have pieces that can kind of allow them to try and work around that. Um, the running game is 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 still is still almost non-existent at this point. I mean, uh, yeah, you, you brought in like Paul Parkins looked okay, but I don't think he looks like a three-down back. And then you've got Sean Johnston locking around somehow <laughs> the likes that uh, Shane Green, who hasn't been healthy for ever. It's worrying, but this is a team with with a good defense, as we know. It's a team that, like Manning, can still do, make the magic happen, even though he has overall declined. And there are just so many offensive weapons. It's the kind of team that you can't write off because you never know when one of these guys is going to go and take a five yard slant, seventy five yards to the house yeah. between um, between Beckham, Marshall, guys like Sterling Shepard as well. It's it's so hard to write them off, and just because of that defense and because of that like little bit of an edge talent wise they have in the receiving core in this division in particular, it's very hard to see them as being worse than an Eagles or worse than a Mazungus. Uh, I have them going seven and nine, and um, I think the difficulties are there, but I think they're going to have enough to basically win in tight spots. Um, this is a season at the end of the window, I think, in a lot of ways, and um, I don't know if this, these new additions are going to be enough to put them back into the playoff pic- picture, picture, but they're still going to be a tough team to play, and that's, I think, what they want to be. Uh, Ronan, just before I move to you, uh, you are aware that you've got the Giants going as a sixth seed and no one getting out of this division as a winner. I'm gonna put that in. Isn't that's it? the that's the that's the intro piece, yeah. I think, right there. <laughs> uh, so, Ronan, I think you're a bit more bullish on this team and how you think they're gonna perform. Uh, like, you've got them definitely, uh, de- definitely doing better than, uh, than 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 Harry does. Uh, why do you think they're gonna see the success? I think the biggest reason is because they have continuity. Every other team in the NFC East is going through some major transformation. Um, with the Cowboys, the defense is completely getting reworked. With the Eagles, obviously, there's there's kind of uncertainty running back. Their secondary is getting reworked as well. And they're kind of still betting in a young quarterback. And in the Mazingas, as we'll talk probably in a little bit, there's, there's changes both on the offense and the defense. The Giants are the only team where you look at the losses that they had that you're like, none of these are huge losses. Like, John and Hankins was a good tree tech, but I think in, in, in the four in the four tree that they run, the tree tech is a replaceable part. It's the type of uh, position where you can get a good veteran at a decent price in, in, in the season and they'll do a good job for you. The Seahawks have shown that, several other teams have shown that over the years that the tree tech isn't really that important unless you're talking about uh, a pass rusher tree tech, which John and Hankins certainly wasn't. So for me, the major reason I have the Giants as my favourite in the NFC East is because they have everyone coming back uh, and even though Eli is, is a year older, I don't think the decline is going to be like precipitous in a kind of Peyton Manning way. He doesn't have the same physical ailments that, 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 that Peyton Manning was dealing with in terms of his shoulder. So for me, when you look at this team, you're looking at the same people, the same coaching, the same ownership, and probably one of the better owners in this division. And for me, that just says this team will still be good. This team can replicate the type of results it had last season. And therefore, this is a 10-win or higher team uh, to my mind. I think Brandon Marshall is a great pickup. And I think having someone behind Eli Manning who isn't complete like garbage, I know Geno Smith, whatever, jokes, etc. But he, like Geno Smith is someone who has experience and probably wouldn't be the worst in bringing someone on Davis Webb. And I think, yeah, that tight end upgrade could be a big deal if Eli is going to move to the stinking dump. So for me, the massive thing is that it's the same team, the same talent as Harry's talked about, but that this is the only team that hasn't flipped the table and isn't doing weird things or hasn't changed a lot. And for me, that is always a good sign for a franchise. And that is always a sign that I think the franchise is going to do better than you might expect. So for me, the Giants 
uh, are the favourite NFC, and I have them going ten and six and getting the number four seed. Yeah, like I'm I'm with you on that. I've got them going ten and six and 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 uh, and winning the division in a tiebreaker over the Cowboys. Uh, essentially, I'm I'm very much on board with you. I've got the like my rationale is simply just that this is going to be, I reckon, quite a quite an offensive juggernaut, and the defense is solid enough that it's going to be able to make that make impact. It's going to stop it just having to be both races every time, and I think that they're set up to be able to compete in those when they come up against bigger teams that can maybe do that, but they won't have to. They'll just have to be a good, efficient offense, and I think this is set up very nicely. Just just the idea of their wide receiving core alone just kind of gets me excited for seeing some of their games this year. So, yeah, I, I've also got them going 10-6 and six and, uh, and winning the division. And uh, finally, on to uh, everyone's least favorite team, <laughs> the, uh, the Mizungus. Uh in terms of additions, they've brought in Terrell Pryor, Jonathan Allen, Ryan Anderson, Zach Brown. Uh, in terms of outs, and man, there was a lot of outs. Uh, Pierre Garçon and Deshaun Jackson are gone. Chris Baker, Ricky Jean-Francois is gone. John Sullivan and a few others as well to boot. Uh, this means that they're going to be looking at betting in like Terrell Pryor as their number one receiver. Uh, reports are coming out that he's going to be running out there with uh, Crowder uh, in their two two wide receiver sets, which uh, I think probably adds more fire to what you were saying earlier, Harry, that maybe they should be looking at some of these free agents that are coming out. Um, there's obviously uncertainty over Kirk Cousins' future, uh, whether he wants to stay there, whether he wants to be there. I suppose if you're getting paid $25 million, you want to be anywhere that pays you $25 million. But um, also whether or not he is as good as as people think or whether that was just a reflection of the market for quarterbacks at the time and then also a question of them again retooling their defense uh, can they maximize because they're spending a lot of money on this group without getting the kind of production that you'd want to be seeing out of it so I'm going to come to you on this first Harry do you think that they're going to be able to make this offense work it's really weird isn't it it almost feels like they don't want to pay Kirk Cousins so much that they're trying to hamstring him and get him <laughs> on a cheaper deal after he has a bad season because Cousins has now put it together for two seasons I'm like I still don't think he's any stretch the best quarterback in the league but I think he's shown that he is a very very solid guy who can win you games um, probably top 12 or so maybe yeah he's definitely in the he's definitely in the top half and this whole situation they put themselves in is weird. You get this guy and then you string him along on these tags while sort of semi-rebuilding the team. It just doesn't make a lot. Well, I mean, it's Washington. So yeah. And then, of course, they fire their general manager who was trying to build something and start all over again. It doesn't make any sense. And that makes me very, very skeptical of, despite the individual talent on this team, what this team is going to look like. And we saw it. We've seen it in the last few seasons. Week after week. We don't know what this team is going to look like, and we don't know how this team is going to play, and we don't know if this team is going to win or lose games, because there's just the instability flows down onto the pitch, and it's it's weird. And like they still don't really have a, a running back, really, who can carry a load like they'd want to. I mean, Matt well, Jones. They've got one. six of them or something. Don't yeah, they? <laughs> well, they, they do, and none of them are like Robert Kelly's okay. Matt Jones is not good. Uh, Chris Thompson's a third down back. Like there's there's a lack of anyone really to take the pressure off Cousins, particularly because of the wide receiver situation. Like, Jameson Crowder is a very, very good slot receiver. Why are you saying he's going to be your number two option? Why are you going to try and play him on the outside? Josh Dotson hasn't done anything, really, since they brought him in. Yeah. Maybe he'll make a big step this year. I, I don't know, but it's very concerning. They've let a lot of talent go. And while they've brought in some interesting guys, you know, you like your Zach Browns and so on, that might make things better. Terrell Pryor, of course, being a huge X factor. How will he play? But you're worried for bringing these new pieces that haven't had consistent production, even though they've shown themselves to be very talented and are coming off good seasons, and throwing them into a team that doesn't seem to know where it's going. 
um, and doesn't seem to just make a lot of sense in any of the decisions it's making. So it's very hard to say this team is going to be massively successful, even though they have so many individual pieces that work well, because you don't know how committed the team is to any of them, how committed they are to the team, and how it's all going to come together. So I have them also going 7-9. Um, and much like the Giants, I think this is a testament to the level of talent there, that they're going, that they're this high up. But there's just a total lack of coherence at the moment. And I'm concerned that if things start going badly, they will continue to go badly. Yeah. Now, do you, do you think that this kind of fluctuation is by design or by mistake? Because we've had a lot of discussion about how this is the most dysfunctional head office. It doesn't quite know what it's going to do. It's paid big money for, for defensive pieces, but haven't gotten the performance out of the defense. Like, Ronan, do you think this is something where they've got a plan to try and turn the corner, or is this kind of a, a, a hit and hope kind of scenario for them? It's worse than a hit and hope. It's a hit yourself over the head. That's pretty <laughs> much what this entire organization is. Like, as Harry says, there's a lot of talent on the team. Talent that was brought in by Scott McLowan a very talented GM who they then went around and basically screwed over in the most public way possible. And now they're coming into this season and they've lost probably, like, they've lost two of the best wide receivers, well, uh, like, two of the better wide receivers in the league in Pierre Garçon and Deshaun Jackson. And they've replaced him with Terrell Pryor, a guy who did really well in Cleveland but has only really had one year of production. And then they replace, like, talented players like Chris Baker in particular, and then they bring in untested players like John and Allen and Ryan Anderson. Like, John and Allen, like, like, incredibly talented, very highly regarded by the talent evaluators, but there's question marks over his health and over his shoulder in terms of the arthritis that was discussed, uh, which is why he slid down to them. So you wonder if, you know, is that, the, is that the move of a team which is thinking long-term? Is that the move of a team that is actually thinking of building something? So, yeah, you have this kind of weird mishmash of a team which is really talented enough to be making a push but at the same time it's replacing like experienced players with young players in almost a rebuild mode like for me like that offense could probably survive if like if Jordan Reed stays healthy that offense could actually be probably one of the best in the league even without Pierre Garçon and Deshaun Jackson but of course like Jordan Reed staying healthy for a season is, is as rare as Grom staying healthy for a season so they can't count on that um, so for me, like, yeah, like the defense, I think the defense will, is really, really dependent on these two guys coming from Alabama, Allen and Anderson, hitting the ground running. And for me, that isn't a great sign when you're relying on these rookies making an instant impact. I think this is the type of team where they could have used some of that money to pay some of these guys, particularly on the defense. I think you can replace one of Garcon or Jackson. They probably should have kept at least one. And they kept Chris Baker. But instead, they've gone... They've gone for a very big change again. And for me, that kind of discontinuity it seems to be a deliberate part of that organization. And for me, that can only mean one thing, another disappointing season and another season where uh, where where Cousins will be good and get lots of yards and they'll still need to pay him lots and lots of money, but where they don't make the playoffs. Uh, and that is probably the worst. That's probably the worst of both worlds, and perfectly except and perfectly normal for an organization like the Mazingos. So I personally have them going eight and eight, uh, missing the playoffs, but Cousins still basically like being owed probably twenty, why 
probably in the region of maybe 25 million uh, at that stage. Yeah. And that's not a good situation to be in. No, fair enough. So you've got to go at 8 and 8. Sorry, I forgot to ask you, what's your count on these guys? Oh, sorry. I thought I said, uh, if I didn't say, sorry, 7 and 9. Perfect. And I've got them going uh, 6 and 10. I also think, I just think that they're going to not be able to put it together. Uh, so interestingly, for what we think is going to be quite a high power, let's do a quick little bit of math there. So I have the teams in this division winning an average of 8.2 games. Harry's got them winning an average of 8 games. And Fitz has them winning an average of uh, 7.8 games. So, uh, so interesting. We have them all kind of sitting around there. So that probably says a lot about it being a very competitive division. It's always, it's always tempting, though, with the NFC to just put every team on 8-8 eight and, eight and just leave it at that. Yeah, <laughs> just let them figure it out. And I suppose with that, we'll move on to the NFC North. Uh, so first up are uh, the now Jay Cutterless Bears. Uh, they've added in uh, Mitch Trubisky and Mike Lennon because what you need once you get rid of uh, Jay Cutler is quarterback controversy. Uh, added Quinton Demps, Prince of Nakamura and Victor Cruz, uh, the elusive ethereal Victor Cruz, a top-end player who has not played properly for three years. Uh, they've lost Jay Cutler, Brian Hoyer, Matt Barkley. Wow, this is <laughs> an impressing <laughs> list when you look through it, isn't it? Uh, lost Alshon Jeffrey and also lost uh, Marquise Wilson. Marquise, well, you're really struggling for a last one there, but in Marquise Wilson. Yeah, <laughs> just like, well, to be fair, like just that, like the power, the power trio at the top of Cutler, Hoyer, and Barkley all exodusing. Uh, so I suppose obviously there's questions around uh, quarterback. They say that they're going with Mike Glennon and they're going to try and let Trubisky sit for the year. I don't. I don't know if I'm going to see that actually happening, but we'll see. Uh, obviously, problems at wide receiver, who's going to be catching the balls from whoever ends up throwing the balls. Basically, then there's because of all this uncertainty and the fact that they've got a, got this new quarterback in and everything, whether or not this is essentially a, a cap on the, on the existing management and coaching that is in there and they're planning to start afresh afterwards or whether or not they could actually perform to a level that will allow Pace and Fox to stay beyond this season and try and build something there with the Bears. So, Harry, I'll start with you on this one. Do you think there's a chance for the Bears to have success this season, or is it just going to be a slip inside of sadness? Well, I mean, look, anything can happen in football, right? I mean, I mean uh, <laughs> Mike Glennon gets cut in camp. The Bears, uh, or say the Browns won a game last yeah, year. Yeah, the Browns did win a game last year. Look at it. I think, consider this, right? Right. Uh, Mike Glennon gets cut in camp. Trubisky plays the first season. It's brutal. Next man up, Mark Sanchez. Oh, fantastic. This team is, is, is screwed. This team is absolutely screwed. Barring Trubisky turning into this absolute revelation, and even if he does, there are still so many problems on this roster. The one thing they have, and the one thing that might allow them to make this merely a bad season as opposed to an absolutely humiliating one, is uh, Jordan Howard. That's what I is that they have got a incredible really? running back who was like if. Ezekiel Elliott had not been in the league. This guy is hands down offensive rookie of the year. He was remarkable, and he was doing that on an incredibly bad offense. So you have a guy, your offense is probably going to suck, but you have a guy who you know can actually win you games and be a difference maker and consistently go over 100 yards in games where your offense sucks. So that is what you need when your quarterback sucks. You need a running game you can rely on, and that's going to make them a little more competitive than they might have been otherwise. But overall, this is a team that just doesn't have a hope I think they know they don't. I think they know it's transitional, but it's concerning when you look at all the struggles going on with the head coach and all this behind-the-scenes management stuff as well. That This team, I think, seems fairly ready to give up on this season already, which is a concern. I do think that they still have, again, like we said, guys like Howard, they've got some nice pieces on the on the, uh, on the the defense as well. Um, I mean, like, for example, their tight end is pretty good, but 
this is just a, a worrying sign for Chicago. If you're going into a rebuild and you have to take chances, that's fine. But they've gone all in on the quarterback and the rest of the team hasn't been rebuilt and doesn't look like it's going to be rebuilt. And they're basically looking through on a, a running back that they picked up in the later rounds of the draft who turned out to be really, really good. So I'm a little worried about the direction here. And I think this is, I think this is going to be one of the first coaching hot seats that we're going to be looking at this season. <laughs> so what have you got them going? I have them going 4-12. and 12. I think they have, like I said, that, that some players are good enough that they're going to keep them competitive, and that's going to allow them to edge out some teams. But overall, this is one of the weakest teams in the league. What about yourself now, Ronan? Do you think that uh, that this is... I suppose the initial... Do you, do you reckon that Mike Lennon's going to get a full year of starting? No, because that would be sensical. And therefore, it won't happen. <laughs> like, I think as Harry alludes to, it's basically a massive race between... John, John Fox and Todd Bowles see who can get fired first, to be honest. And it's, it's hard to see. Like, this this was a team. It signed Mike Glennon, a nice, low-key free agent quarterback. Like, he got paid a fair amount of money. But by like if, if he turned into a starter, the money was not busy a Tyrod Taylor on the situation. It wouldn't be too terrible. Um, and that would have been okay. Like, I think the Bears might have done okay. It would have created a stability around the team, which John Fox is... John Fox is a decent coach and thinks they're stable. But if you start pulling things apart and all the indications were that the Trubisky move was a pace move and that Fox was basically not aware that it was going to happen that does not tell me that this is a team that is all in on Mitch Trubisky being the quarter like being the franchise savior that he needs to be for what they just did to get him like they move up all the way to two they give away all those picks and now they have to play him even though they got Mike Glennon uh they'll probably have to go through the charade of a you know a camp battle between them and Mike Lennon might even get to, get to start the first couple of games, but then Mitch Trubisky will be thrown in and he's going to have no one to throw to, and the offensive line isn't exactly uh, amazing either, so that doesn't exactly uh, give me confidence that they're going to be able to protect him. Like they brought in uh, like like they have like a couple of pieces on the offensive line, but as a unit it didn't really show anything. So this this to me was a team coming after Jay Cutler should have taken like someone like Mike Lennon. Someone slow, like someone like you know, not too exciting. So you could do a rebuild in silence by getting Mitch Trubisky. They've blown everything up. They've created a like a rift between the like the management and the coaching staff. And I think in the end, it's going to all going to blow up because they have no one to throw to. Uh, and even though I think this defense is talented and actually it's been more games than you might expect, I think at the end of the day, the offense is going to throw them too many down down too many coaches. Uh, and for me, this is just a bad team. It's going to have a bad season. Zion going three and thirteen. Yeah, like I have a little bit more faith in them, not a huge amount, to be honest. Like I don't see it being a good season, but I do think that they're going to be able to put together a halfway decent showing. I think what you always get, I, I, I'm with you. I think that uh, I think that Trubisky's going to get put in. I think he's probably not going to get put in until maybe week five or six. And I think the swapping of quarterbacks, you're probably going to get to see. Uh, maybe a win or two coming out of the fact that they're going to be changing how they're going to be throwing their patterns. People won't be able to game plan for them as much. I think especially whenever they put the rookie quarterback in, they're going to lean even more heavily on that running game, which I think will give them a bit of success. I don't think that this was a smart move that they made to, to trade up to get him. I think especially because they're going to need to put a lot of pieces in place. They've got a lot of work to do on this roster and they've given up picks to try and do this I don't think they're set up for long-term success but I can see them eking out six wins this season and uh, interesting enough not being the worst team in this division mm, this season incredible. oh that's what we call a, we call a tease Green Bay isn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, but yeah so I, I've got them going about uh, six and ten uh, not being great but 
maybe seeing some stuff out of Mitch Trubisky and getting enough of a sample size to see whether or not they can, what, basically what they need to do to put around him to try and build for the future a little bit more. On to the Detroit Lions. Uh, they've added Ricky Wagner, uh, TJ Lang and Jared Davis. They have lost Larry Warford, uh, Riley Reef, and Raphael Bush. Uh, they, so they're looking to rework their O-line. The question is whether or not they can be successful. They did see an awful lot of success at the quarterback position last year. Very good statistical success. Uh, will they be able to find anything on this defense that resembles a pass rush is another big question. Uh, and then, obviously, especially given how close and how many comebacks and how within six points so many of their games were, was last year just a year where a lot of things broke right and this team isn't as good as their record was last year? Or is this a team that can take that build on it and actually see some progression this year? So, Ronan, I'll come to you on this one first. Do you think this is a team that will be better than the one that we saw last year, at least in terms of results? No, I, I, I think this is this is... I think like if you're thinking about a team that is in the upper middle, basically looking to do a wild card, the Detroit Lions to me are that type of team. They're that kind of team that I think will win enough games to be relevant at the end of the season. And if things break their way, they could easily become a wild card team. Uh, and indeed, I've predicted them to be that uh, as I'll discuss at the end. Uh, for me, the upgrades in offensive line, like uh, the up, like I suppose spoiler alert. I think the players they got in for the offensive line. Are, are generally upgrades of what they what, what they had. I think Riley Reef has generally been seen um, to be a bit of a disappointment, uh, and Larry Warford was a solid player, but but not amazing. Uh, they brought in the rookie last year, uh, and he's he's actually been he was actually pretty good. Taylor Decker, I, I like for me that that means that like Ricky Wagner, like he's getting paid a lot to be a right tackle, but that's good. And I think T.J. Lang is one of the best guards if he can stay healthy. So assuming. TJ Lang stays healthy. I think the offensive line will be better. And I think as long as the offensive line is, is, is better, I think that will give more time for Matthew Stafford uh, to play this, play his game. Like The offense hasn't really lost anything. And that means there's still a massive question mark at running back. But I think the offense runs through Stafford now. I think that's just been true since, like for like three or four years at this point. And I think everyone's comfortable with that. And I think Jared Davis was probably one of the best uh, picks in terms of value in the draft. And I think he's really important to shore up that inside linebacker spot where they've really suffered uh, due, due to retirements uh, and injuries over the last few years. And I think if he can come in and be that kind of Bobby Wagner or Luke Keekley type player in the inside, that could be a massive boost to their run defense, which was probably their biggest weakness. So for me, like, there's a lot of question marks over the Lions, as there almost always is. But everything that I'm seeing in terms of personnel means that they should, in theory, be a bit better than last year. And they should definitely be a contender towards the end of the season to get into a wild card spot. I don't think they can challenge in this division, as we'll talk about later on. But I think they can definitely be in the mix for the playoffs. Yeah. You see, I'm more of the opinion that they were lucky last season. I think they're good, not great. I think... They are probably right around the middle of the pack. Rather than that challenging for the wild card, I think they're just outside that group. Now, maybe if these pieces that they've brought in click in nicely, they can they can get there. But if I like if if the same team that was playing last year came out and was playing now, I would still be putting them around the same area as I am. I've got them going eight and eight in this one. Uh, I just think that they they lack that kind of X factor. They haven't found a replacement for the defensive pieces that they've lost over the last two or three seasons. Their offense is lacking that bit of spark that we'd want to see from from a particularly high-form running back or a, or a dominant uh, receiver. Stafford played well last season, but again, 
it was statistically good as a random number generator can be rather than consistently and competitively smart in when it was making those those yards and making those moves. So I see them kind of sitting almost in relative me- me- mediocre obscurity in this scenario. What about yourself, Harry? What do well, you reckon? I agree with you circa 2014, but like I think Matt Stafford, I actually, I, I, I like the Lions. I think they're an underrated team in general uh, and he'll get forgotten about because the other teams in their division, to be honest with you. Like Matt Stafford, I think, has evolved, and I would agree with you a couple of seasons ago for me, a complete random number generator, to actually being a consistently smart quarterback who makes good plays and puts his team in position to win games and wins games for his team. Like, bear in mind, we're saying, oh, they got lucky with a few lucky breaks uh, last season, and they did if you take it game by game. But this is a team that had literally no running backs. This is a team that was devastated by injuries on the offense that had, for example, uh, had lost guys like DeAndre Levy, who were the heart and soul of that linebacking core, to use a cliche. And they still managed to pull this off. And I think that speaks to there being more to this team than people are perhaps willing to give them credit for. Uh, I think the O-line has has improved. Uh, I, I would agree with Ronan on that. And I think that, look, if Amir Abdullah stays healthy, we know he can act, he, he's shown flashes of talent. And if you are able to add something like that to the mix with a more consistent Matt Stafford, who really, and I know we have to credit our favorite coach, Jim Bob Cooter, mm-hmm. for I think the evolution of this team's offense into something more than just a random number generator. And also that has been with the absence of Calvin Johnson forced to actually play differently and play smarter by not being so reliant on a transcendental talent. And I think that's actually, in a perverse way, while it's made them a worse team from lacking that, I think it's made Matt Stafford a better player because he's had to play better, because he's no longer got guys who can like dig him out of deep spots, and he's had to take a lot of that on himself. And I think you have to credit a huge amount of what they did on offense last season to him. And it's like, right now, can we give him a bit of help? Can we get a running game going? Can we keep... Abdullah healthy, if they can, this team's a serious, serious threat. Now, that's a big question mark, and that's a big it. And also on the defense, this is a team that remains underrated. Guys like Glover Quinn and Darius Slay are really, really good players. I love the addition of Dar- Jared Davis, much like Ronan does, but I also think that one of the couple of, there's a couple of guys last season who came on that we really haven't talked about. When you say there's no pass rush, like, look, the, the, we've seen what Ziggy Ansah can do when he's healthy. Tier Whitehead had a fantastic season last season, very, very quietly without anybody really noticing. Um, how good he was. And when you've got guys like that that can actually be difference makers, Kerry Hyder would be another one who showed flashes of really real talent in there. If they can bring all of this together, they're not going to like luck their way to 9-7. and seven. They are a team that is definitely good enough to be 9-7, and seven, if not better. Now I've got them going 10-6 and six because I think you know there's still a lot of ifs in what I'm saying. There's a lot of reliance on player health. There's a lot of reliance on things continuing to go right. But I think what we've seen over the last few seasons is... Um, a team that has got better, has found a way of playing that really actually works for them, has found a way to make itself overperform when the other teams would have crumbled in the kind of situation they were in. And now, if they get those pieces together, if they all stay healthy, this is a team that can definitely make the wild card round um, on the balance of averages. And if they keep everybody healthy for the whole season, which I don't think is going to happen, and that's again what happened to 6 it's a team that could be pushing Green Bay closer than we might like to think. Okay, so 10 and 6 making the wild card there. Uh, up next, we have the Packers. Uh, they have added Martellus Bennett and Lance Kendricks, Kevin King, Jahari Evans. They've lost TJ Lang, JC Trader, uh, Dayton Jones, Julius Peppers, and then a spate of running backs uh, Fat Eddie, Christine Michael, and James Stark. You're using running back very liberally there, like waddling back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nose tackle, Eddie Lacey. Yeah, he got he got his bonus there. He got himself down to what was it this time? I was at two forty five. Christ, 
Yeah. yeah, I think it's 245 this one, yeah. Yeah, so you got 55 grand for... I would love someone would give me 55 grand for being 240 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Live the dream, man. Yeah. So obviously we've got questions over this O-line. It was one that we had worries about going into last season, but then performed extremely well, even though uh, in theory really shouldn't have performed as well as they did. Um, there's obviously questions about who's going to be the running back, how they're going to get a bit of... take a little bit of the pressure off uh, off, off uh, Aaron Rodgers' shoulders. And uh, can they actually get kind of pressure, given that they've lost a number of players now? I think some of the some of the players that they've lost maybe were, were were getting a little bit older. Maybe they aren't as big a loss. But the question is, can they actually provide something on that D line to try and disrupt other teams, or is this just going to be another Aaron Rodgers versus the world season? So Harry, I suppose the question is, will this be Aaron Rodgers versus the world? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, Aaron and Jordy's background uh, adventure, you know. Um, it's it, but it's it's so hard with the Packers because we always come with all these questions and then the, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day they're always up and about there and if if Rogers stays healthy for the whole season they invariably win the division because yeah. he's that good. Yeah, there there are still question marks over the O line. I mean, even losing guys like like Lang and, and Treader, that's those are those are, are are blows certainly, and you, you do wonder if if they necessarily have the replacements that they've obviously got guys like Bakhtiari who are quite good and bring in Jerry Evans. I this is a guy who hasn't really. Like he's on the tail end of his career at this point. Mm-hmm. You wonder if that's necessarily going to solve the problem. They still have no running backs, as you, as you rightly point out. But it, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. They've got Aaron Rodgers. They've got um, guys like Randall Cobb and Jordy Nelson, who he just has really good chemistry with. We saw the sort of e- evolution of guys like you know, like your Devontae Adams, like your Jordan Allison. It's guys who can be useful kind of role players out there. And, and of course, sorry, you've also added, added Martellus Bennett, who, who's a very good pass catching tight end but also critically is an extremely good blocking tight end which everybody always forgets until they start thinking about it and they're like oh yeah he is so that's the kind of thing that they need um and again another weapon on the offense because this is a team that's just gonna be about Aaron Rodgers they still have really poor cornerbacks they still have a really questionable pass rush like other than Mike Davis who do they have I don't really know who can play in that role on the d-line and get consistent pressure but none of this ever matters does it it, it, it's just Aaron Rodgers, and he is just that good. And I have to see him going 13-3 and winning the division. No, I don't. I haven't seen him going 12-4, sorry, and winning the division. Because I think that when you have a guy like Rodgers, you, you can just paper over those cracks, particularly when two of the teams in your division aren't very good. It becomes a lot easier. Mm. Um, but I think this is going to be another year where they're going to look wobbly. There's going to be lots and lots of questions, but they're just going to keep winning games. It probably will all come unraveled in the playoffs when push comes to shove and they come up against the other elite teams in the league. But right now, I think just having Rodgers and those receivers who are so talented and he works so well with is is enough to easily uh, push this team to another division title. Yeah, no, of course. But surely, Fitz, with with that much pressure being on one man's shoulders, like you run a huge risk. You need to get some more supporting pieces around there. Like there is always a risk of him getting injured. We saw, was it uh, not last season, season beforehand where he was playing with an injury and his, his release was off and people were wondering what was going on. We saw the, the fragility of a team based around that. Is that something that they can still succeed in given that everyone knows that's what this team does and they know what they have to try and do to, to, to counter it. Can that still work for this upcoming season or or is that is that just kind of a, a dead tactic uh, like like if we're honest the majority of successful teams would struggle without their quarterback one like the Pittsburgh Steelers Seattle Seahawks uh like like with the exception of the Patriots because fucking Patriots uh every other elite team probably would would be would nearly drop out of the playoffs without their number one I yes the Green Bay Packers are particularly reliant 
on Aaron Rodgers, but that's because Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the league right now. Mm. Like he, he probably isn't, he probably isn't the best in career terms over Tom Brady, but right now, if you're to take him for this season, I would probably take Aaron Rodgers over everyone because what we saw towards the back half of last season was the real Aaron Rodgers. There'd be like a kind of a year there, or maybe a year and a half where Aaron Rodgers had looked a bit off and everyone was talking about what's his timing. But Jordy Nelson came back healthy last season and about halfway through the season, it all clicked and suddenly everything made sense in Green Bay again and they absolutely started eviscerating teams again. Like, I, So for me, like I think I have to agree with Harry. I think as long as Aaron Rodgers is fit and if Jordy Nelson stays fit, I think this is a team that will win lots of games and will be a, like probably one of the favourites for the NFC, uh, for the NFC uh, title, and indeed for the Super Bowl, I think one of the advantages that they have is that while um, other teams who are very powerful, uh, the other team who's probably the best in the NFC is Atlanta. They have to deal with a really powerful division. I think, with the exception of the Lions, the Packers get a fairly empty field to attack in the NFC North, and I think that always helps because it makes sure that you get to the playoffs without really having to risk too much and having decent seeding. I think that will make all the difference. Like if Green Bay is the number one seed, which I have, which I am predicting that they will be, and they get to play in Lambeau all the way to the until the Super Bowl, that gives them such a huge advantage that I don't, I don't see how you could bet against them at that point. And I think they definitely have a shot of doing that this season, considering, uh, considering the talent they have. I think because also they get the AFC side, so that's always fun. Yeah, like to be honest, I think I'm I'm very similar. I do think that they're going to still find success with that. I really like the addition of Martellus Bennett. I think even if there's problems with the O line, he gives a quick exit route rather than having to just you know hold the ball for six seconds and then turf it for another <laughs> sixty yard hail mary. Um, I think that's going to help them an awful lot. I don't have them as good as you guys. I have them winning eleven games this season, going eleven and five, winning the division. Obviously, I haven't done all the rest of my 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 numbers yet, so I don't know whether that's a number one or not. It's Probably not. Uh, it's probably the number two. But um, yeah, like I, I think it'll work. I think I, I'd be worried about the way that it's structured because it's you know one piece falls and then everything is gone. But I do think that they're going to be able to find success this year. I think he's still young enough to be able to take a couple of hits and be fine. And Martel's Bennett gives him the the, the 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 kind of release valve if he needs it if people start coming at him very hard. Uh, on to the Vikings now. They ended the NFC North. Uh, they've added Riley Reef, Mike Remmers, Latavius Murray, Davin Cook, and Dayton Jones. They've lost Adrian Peterson, uh, Andre Smith, Matt Khalil, and Captain Monerlin. I love his name. Um, so obviously, this will be the first team we've seen. Well, in theory, it's the first team we've seen without Adrian Peterson, but we've seen him without Adrian Peterson twice beforehand. Uh, so we'll have to have a look at the questions of uh, who's going to be their running back one, who's going to kind of kind of take over that backfield. And the O-line was fucking dreadful last year. So whether or not that's going to be improved and whether or not that will allow... Sam Bradford a bit more time because Sam Bradford while he saw success in in, in, in uh, certain runs last year um, he also had periods where he was not performing too well because of the failings of that offensive line and because I think he was still trying to get on the page with some of the receivers and get used to the to the way that that offense worked um, Fitz I'll come to you first on this one how do you see this offense running this year is it going to run through one of these young running backs or is it going to run through Sam Bradford and how is that going to work I think it'll actually be a fairly balanced side. I think like the Tavius Murray and Dalvin Cook. I think like Dalvin Cook uh, is generally seen as a really exciting player. 
but has some of the rough edges that you kind of expect from a rookie in terms of pass protection and being the complete back, like a, a complete three-line back. And Latavius Murray, he's kind of a, a physical bounder, and I think he, he adds that kind of physical element that they certainly need to replace now that they've lost uh, Adrian Peterson. Uh, but I think ultimately the offense that you saw last season is the offense that you will see this season, and it will be like it, it won't be very fun to watch. Let's be honest. The offense this season isn't going to be particularly interesting, and no Sam Bradford offense tends to be. It's going to be a lot of short, high percentage passes, a lot of like run on the early downs, and a lot of it's just going to be solid offensive football. Don't turn the ball over uh, and try to basically rack up the scores when they become available uh, on short fields, which are made by that defense. I think like the defense. Uh, it lost Captain Mullen, but otherwise it's still the same unit. And we saw last season at times that that defense was good enough to win games on its own. So the only real question mark is, is the offensive line good enough to allow that offensive game plan to go? And I think like Riley Reef and Mike Rammers, neither of them are amazing players. Both of them have been rejected by teams who have more options. But for a team that was was like trucking out like Jake Long last season, I think that's, these are the kind of players that you need to get in in this type of market for offensive linemen just to have a chance. And I think if they can provide adequate, average tackle play for them, that should be enough for them to at least be at the offense they need to be. Because with that short play offense, they, like Sam Bradford doesn't need a huge amount of time. He just needs enough time to not be on his ass within a couple of seconds. And I think they should be good enough to let them play that offense. I think the biggest problem with the Vikings is they're going to be boring as hell to watch uh, most of the time. And, you know, it, it's always, you always know that when the defense is the one that will be doing the exciting stuff. Uh, I think that's going to be the case with the Vikings. They're going to be solid. They're going to be really tough to play. I don't think anyone wants to play. Anyone's going to want to play the Vikings this season, but no one's going to watch them, want to watch them either. And, you know, that's fine. If they make the playoffs, I'm sure they'll be willing to accept that. But for everyone else, I don't think we're going to be watching too much. Uh, so for me, they're going to go a very boring 7-9 and nine, uh, after all is said and done. And, you know, uh, it'll continue on from there and see if they can get a more exciting offense next year after that. Yeah. Now with, uh, with apologies to any Vikings fans, uh, Ronan is the most bullish on the Vikings this season, uh, yes. which, is, which, is, which is bizarre. Cause as well, as like mentioned, you, me, we do have... me and you are both like defense first type people, but we realize it's not the most exciting thing to watch as a neutral. Yeah, but like it's also that thing of while I do appreciate that they do have an excellent defense, I am going to have to question where the scores are going to come from at all. Like I think the offensive line is going to be as crap as it was last year. I wasn't. I Sam Bradford did an okay job. I wasn't sold on him. I don't like. I don't get why everyone's kind of very. A lot of Vikings fans are very happy that they got Sam Bradford, and I get like I get the because he's white. But I get, I get the technical value of, like, they got him for two years and now, you know, they didn't know it would be two years they'd need him, so they're happy they don't have to give up more capital to get someone else. But, like, outside of outside of Dalvin Cook coming in and setting the world on fire in his first year, like, Latavius Murray doesn't excite me all that much running behind a line that's this bad, so Dalvin Cook would have to do a great job. I don't think their passing game is particularly exciting. Even though their defense will keep the scores against them low on, I think they're going to lose a lot of low-scoring games. So, like, I have them going four and twelve this season. I have them regressing quite significantly. So, I like, I just as much as I love that defense, the defense is excellent, and the defense is enjoyable to watch if you want to watch defensive football. I just can't see where the wins are going to come from for this team, and like that, that's that's it for them, really. For me, I just I just can't see them being able to do anything other than probably competing for a top five pick. Yeah, and I, I, want you to, I want you to imagine we haven't had this pre-discussion. I'm just going to describe a thing to you, okay? It's a team. 
They're quarterbacked by Sam Bradford. They have a poor offensive line. They don't seem to have a huge amount of options at wide receiver, but they have an absolutely nasty uh, defensive line. They have very aggressive linebackers. They have um, physical, tough, talented players in the secondary, and the best they can hope for is seven and nine. What am I describing to you? Sadness. <laughs> well, that and uh, Jeff Fisher. Yeah. And it's concerning that the nicest thing we can say about the Vikings, which is what Rome has been saying, is that they are a Jeff Fisher team right now. Because that's that's basically what we've described. I am not sold on this at all, and I think I share Connor's concerns exactly uh, regarding how the running game takes off with his O-line. Like, we saw Adrian Peterson very briefly last season getting absolutely murdered behind that line. Less than one yard of carry. Yeah, this isn't a line that can support a physical back, and a guy like Latavius Murray is going to struggle. We don't know with Dalvin Cook, but the signs aren't good, because it wasn't like, um, again, last season, like the more agile um, uh, player, Jared McKinnon, had any great success either. Bradford's a dink and dunk guy. This this is, yeah, this is a team that's going to struggle to put up points. It's it's a team with a incredibly good defense, one of the best defenses in the league, easily. It really, really is. But that's not enough to win games really they say defense wins championships but you have to also be able to move the ball up and down the field and this is a team we saw struggle to do it last season it's a team that i think we're going to see struggle to do it again this season i I don't believe in sam bradford i think even at his best sam bradford is mediocre um he is he is accurate and he's able to make quick smart decisions but when you have to do that every single play you're not going to get anywhere and he doesn't have, I think, that ability to be a transcendental talent and overcome that level uh, behind an O-line that really has, yes, improved marginally possibly, but really doesn't look like it's that much better. Defense is going to keep them competitive. Defense is going to win them a few games. The offense might even shop and win them a game once or twice. But we saw again, like, like we saw last season, people figured that defense out as the season went on. The defense couldn't keep up that level of performance all, all yeah. season just from being on, on the field so much. They got worn down late in games. And I think we're going to see something very, very, very similar happening this year. So I have them going uh, five and eleven, and uh, continuing to struggle as long as the team is built the way it is. Yeah. Oh well. Best of luck next time, Vikings. Uh, on the plus side, uh, Teddy Bridgewater has now been doing some like footwork uh, stuff and throwing a couple of passes as part of his rehab. So they might get him back next season. Although God knows if he'll be fully functional, being able to play football or not. But uh, all the best for his recovery. It's a real pity because, like I said, this is an excellent defense. It just seems like such a waste uh, as it stands. But yeah, that'll cover uh, our previews for this episode. Uh, so we're going to continue around the rest of the NFC uh, next on the next episode and cover the South and the West. Uh, coming to your boys, Ronan, the Seahawks. So that should be that should be a good crack. Uh, if you have any questions or anything in particular about any of the teams in those two divisions, fire them on into us on Twitter or Etsy or. Uh, LinkedIn or I don't know what else is out there. Friendster. Oh, we've, got, we've got a Pornhub account now. Oh, excellent! Uh, so more likes and shares. We finally, find out what those buttons are for. Highlighting the brand. Yeah. Oh god, I do like there's um there's a there's a stream of game a guy who streams the game sometimes that we might watch if we're having problems with any of the other legal connections that we have to those games. Um, and uh, he, he, he has an awful tendency to, like, whenever the ads are on, he puts on, like, kind of meme videos and shite like that there. But whenever games are going really badly, he just rips the pace. So, like, I think it was the um, the Dolphins game when they were losing by, I think, 28 points or something at one point. And he just went in, he just, on the on the broadcast, just replaced the uh, the NFL logo with Brazzers because they were getting <laughs> fucked. 
Uh, <laughs> it's a great crack. But yeah, uh, so any plans for the next week or two, lads? Any 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 big big bits of fun on the horizon? Uh, not not in the next few weeks now. A mm. few work nights out and things like that. Yeah. Coming up, but uh, gonna have to start prepping now. We've got a we with one of our uh, one of our uh, leagues, the one that Harry runs. Uh, we do a danger league where we draft uh, in uh, in in July. Uh, so basically, half of everyone's team is either IR'd or on a different team by the time we get to the to the first game. Of the one season. month until that draft. Uh, yeah, it's one month from today. So it'll be good crack. What about yourself, Ronan? Any any big plans the next couple of weeks? Uh, no. <laughs> work, 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 work. <laughs> flat out, flat out. Um, yeah, I might have a look at going down to one of the wrestling thingies in a week or two, but uh, we'll see what the story is with that. I haven't, uh, haven't gotten tickets yet for it. But uh, yeah, sure, that's perfect, guys. We'll wrap that up now. And uh, like I said, we'll, we'll be on to the rest of the NFC next episode. So I suppose uh, for now, it's uh, bye from myself, bye from Harry, bye, bye from Ronan. Bye. This has been all four quarters. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm sure we'll chat to you in a couple of weeks' time.